And welcome to episode 91 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers. That means we love looking up at the nighttime sky. And this podcast is for anyone else who enjoys going out under the stars. One of those people is Dave Chapman, who's joining us today. And Dave is a longtime friend and a personal mentor of mine. I've done a lot of astronomy um, in the field and... Uh, and done some writing with him over the years and really appreciative for that. He was actually one of the first uh, RASC, the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada, which is sort of the big club here in Canada that we all belong to. He was one of the first people in the RASC I actually uh, spoke to. Um, we were up on top of a mountain, which is a great spot to meet another amateur astronomer. And he was using a small refractor which was something that I had always uh, been interested in. So, uh, and he was there with somebody I thought was his, his daughter, but was just a friend of his. And uh, I, I went up and asked him about the telescope and he was very uh, warm and welcoming. And, and uh, we spent a while looking, looking through that refractor. It was really neat. And then uh, I've also written uh, extensively with Dave through the uh, journal of the, or Dave has written extensively through the journal of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada and other publications. And uh, Dave invited me to, to contribute to the RASC Observer's Handbook. And uh, I've always been very appreciative of his, uh, his patience and encouragement with my writing. Um, Dave is also uh, somebody I've camped out with uh, and done some astronomy with at, at the local star party back uh, when I lived in Nova Scotia. And at one of these star parties, when we were camped out together, uh, Dave actually came upon something that is that has become uh, well known as the uh, Lunar X. And he was, uh, you know, has been credited as as sort of the person who uh, who rediscovered the Lunar X. So, without further ado, this is Dave a.k.a. Professor Telescope. And uh, yeah, let's let's talk about the Lunar X first, Dave. Okay, well, thanks, uh, Shane and Chris, for having me on. Uh, Chris, you're a good friend. We go back a long ways. I was, I was trying to remember uh, when we started out. It's been at least 20 years. I don't remember. Yeah, that, that was about 96, yeah. What mountain were we on? Well, that, well... That was up uh, when uh, Nova East used to be in New Brunswick. Remember outside okay. of yeah, yeah. It called Olek? Yeah. And that actually, was when they used to have it. Yeah. Actually, that, that was my daughter with me. My daughter oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. That was your daughter. Okay. Yeah. You're getting confused between a couple of different episodes many years apart. But yeah. yeah okay. So <laughs> I, I, brought her, I brought her to a Nova East uh, up when it was up in uh, New Brunswick and uh, – uh, I can't, yeah, so you're saying it's probably around 96 or so. Yeah, uh, yeah, 96 or 97. So she would yeah. have been um, like, you know, eight years old or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, that and sounds I brought right. her along because yeah. uh, my wife didn't really want to come, but I, I didn't want to like, go alone. So I brought her along and she, she thought it was a great adventure. And uh, yeah, so we go back a long way and you've said some very kind things yeah. about me. I, I consider us more like peers, to be honest, but uh I've learned a lot from you about okay. uh, telescopes and binoculars and observing wide field. And, you know, I invited you to uh, put that uh, observing list in the, uh, the handbook. And uh, uh, so you've opened my eyes to, to a lot of things as well. So, yeah. Um, and you, you had a really interesting observation though, that, uh, that time at Nova East when, when you came upon the Lunar X, yeah, you want to kind of recount that for us a bit? Before, before I do, I will, but before I was doing a bit of research this morning and, and I found out online, there's a claim 
that uh, the Lunar X was previously discovered by a guy named Dr. William Busker in 1974 hmm. from Tennessee. Now, I haven't been able to follow that up because they say it's the first documented uh, observation, but I haven't been able to find the documentation. So uh, that's, a, that's the disclaimer. I never said I discovered the X because it's obviously something that's been there forever and must, yeah. lots of people must have seen it. So, um, so what, I, what I own <laughs> is Phil Harrington wrote a book called uh, Cosmic Challenges, I think it was. Yes. And he talked about the Lunar yep. X in that book and my wife got it for me for Christmas one year. And, and I, I was opening it up and I was like reading through it and it came to the Lunar X. And I was really surprised to see when he talked about the Lunar X, he, he mentioned my name in it. And he said, and what the way he put it, I thought was rather nice. He basically gave me credit, credit for popularizing it, which I think I, I'll Yeah, that's that. a good way to put it. I'll, I'll own that because, yeah. okay, so I'll start at the beginning. We were at Nova East. It was, it was 2004. And uh, uh, here in um, Smiley's Park in Nova Scotia. And if you recall that weekend, it was miserable. Like it rained Friday night. It was wet all Saturday. It, it rained Saturday night. We had a good social And time. that almost we, never happens. Yeah, and that almost never happens in Nova Scotia. <laughs> you usually get one clear night in three, okay? That's, that's, yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So... So what happened was, of course, Sunday morning cleared up and it was a beautiful day and everybody was packing up to go home. And a bunch of us said, well, this is silly. You know, we're in a beautiful spot. We're camped out. The sky's going to be perfect tonight. So a bunch of us decided to stay on. And, and what we ended up doing was going to the park and paying for the extra night's camping. So like yeah. you and me and Tony Jones and a whole bunch of other people stayed on. Maybe about a third of the Nova East uh, participants stayed. Yeah. It was a Sunday night. Other, you know, people had to go to work and stuff like that. So, so we stayed on and, um, and um, uh, in the evening, uh, in, in the twilight, I, I set up and I was using my Ranger. I was, I was setting up my little Ranger. So that's a 70 millimeter F 6.8 refractor that was put out by Teleview. There's, they don't, they don't, make it anymore. So I guess that makes it a vintage scope automatically. Uh, but it's my, it's my uh, scope for like when I travel, I just, that's the thing I take with me. And um, so anyway, um, I was setting it up and getting ready for the night and it wasn't dark yet, but the first, about the first quarter moon was in the sky and setting above the tree line. So I set up the telescope and to, you know, to focus it and get it all set up. And, and I was looking at the, um, the moon, and this X, this X jumped out of, 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 at me. It was very clear. So there was the illuminated half of the moon on the right side, and there was the dark part of the moon on the left side. <clears throat> right near the Terminator on the dark side, there was this X, and it was clear as it was like clear as day in the telescope. And uh, I sort of set out, a, I let out a whoop. I was like, "Holy cow! What's that? Like I've never seen anything like that." And I started making a big I fuss. was trying to sleep. I know. I was going to say that. You were in the next tent. And you were annoyed because like, what are you, Chapman, what are you doing? You're just making, like, what the hell? I'm trying to sleep here. So you came out and you, I guess you must have had a look, look at it. So you might, you must have been like the second yeah. person who saw the X on that occasion. Uh, Begrudgingly. A whole, a whole bunch of people set up their scopes and quick. So after a while, everybody was looking at it. And uh and uh, what's going on? Oh, Chapman found this thing, you know, and, 
Tony Jones took a picture and uh, I'm just going to. Yep. Yeah. So he took a picture and. Um, um, well, one thing oh, led we to go. another. One thing led to another. Um, actually, that's. I'm showing you a picture here online. <laughs> that's not. That's not Tony's picture, <laughs> but there's a picture okay. of it that we can that you and I can look at. Um, so, so I came home from that and I was quite excited and I started doing some research. Like, and I couldn't find anything about this feature. I didn't know anything about it other than I saw it, and then the moon set, and uh, I started doing some research. Couldn't find anything uh, in books. I couldn't find anything online. I was like going high and low. So I started asking around, and. Um, uh, in the end, like to uh, Tony Jones took a picture and and I wrote a little letter to Sky News with Tony Jones picture, just reporting the the observation. And it got published in the October uh, uh, Sky News of that year. And when it came out, uh, Ted Dunphy up in uh, near Fredericton contacted me and said, I saw the same thing. So he saw it independently on the same night. But he, he didn't wow. talk to anybody about it. When he saw the uh, letter in the Sky News, he, he contacted me. Uh, later on, I asked, you know, that the well-known uh, lunar um, observer, Charles Wood, um, he, he yeah. used to run a thing called uh, Lunar Picture of the Day. And I wrote to him yeah. and said, I saw this thing and uh, here's a picture of it or what do you know about it? He wrote back, he said, I, I don't know much about it, but I'll, I'll, I'll ask. And then a couple of days later, the lunar picture of the day <laughs> was the lunar X, but it was, <laughs> but it was taken by this uh, lady who's quite a nice lady in the States, uh, Carol Lacomiak. So she's a photographer and she's also a sketcher. But the, cu the curious thing was she had taken it exactly two months earlier. When I say two months, like two lunar okay. months. So oh. whatever, yeah. whatever number of days that was, she, she took a picture of it and she had this picture, but hadn't shared it with anybody until I started asking. And then it suddenly poked up on ah. the lunar picture of the day. So right there, you know, she saw it before I did. So, um, so yeah. there you go. Right. So lots of, I'm sure there were lots of other people who have seen it over the years, but just didn't bother telling anyone about it or didn't have the means and, uh, so, so after a while, it kind of picked up a bit of steam and, you know, it's, people were talking about it on cloudy nights and whatnot. And, um, and my, so my theory about this, it, 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 it's that I saw it, but because of the internet, you know, the internet and, and the forums and all of this stuff that was coming up then, uh, it just, the, it kind of went viral a bit and, and it kind of spread. And so I think that's the difference that I saw it. And then I, I told people about it and then other people saw it and, and then it kind of grew mm -hmm. from there. And I mean, it's grown to the point where I can't keep track of it anymore. Like people send me articles from magazines that people talk about the lunar X or there's people chatting about it on the forums and people predicting when it's going to be seen. All the stuff has taken place over, over the years. What I did do, was I started trying to do more uh, observations of it and trying to figure out when you could see it. And uh, I, I wrote an article in, in Jazza, which is what you're, uh, I'm sharing with you now. Uh, and so for people listening to the podcast, 
you can go online to the RASE website and look under the journal of the RASE and all of, all of the issues are uh, free to download. Go to April 2007 and you'll see the article I end up writing about, and it tells you everything you need to know about the Lunar X, but we're afraid to ask. <laughs> Including, why don't, you see it, why don't you see it every month? And uh, why it's not exactly uh, uh, synchronized with the phase of the moon, but it's actually synchronized with the longitude of the Terminator. And there's a whole bunch of really interesting lunar sort of details about the visibility of this thing and, and that kind of thing. And, I, and I, I decided I was going to write it all down because at the time, nobody had anything uh, written anything about it or documented it in any way that I knew about. So I decided to write that article. And as part of that, I actually coordinated a coast-to-coast -coast observing campaign when the Lunar X um, appeared uh, one time and you could start watching it in on the East Coast. And then as, as the uh, Terminator advanced over the formation, the, the optimum place to look for it would be more and more west. So I ended up recruiting a whole bunch of different observers across Canada who sent in their observing reports and uh, pictures. And um, I was able to um, amass quite a bit of data about its visibility from that episode. So that was kind of a cool byproduct of this because it was a, like a, it was a, kind of a coordinated multiple observer observation, you know, over multiple time zones. And uh, I thought that was really cool. And in the article, I've got a big long list of all the people who contributed. And uh, many of them I didn't really know back then, but they're all, I look back at the names and I've, I've got, gotten to know them over the years. People like Bill Weir, well, Randy Atwood, I knew, yeah. you know, people like that, uh, Joe Carr, you know. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, I think my name's even in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably. Somewhere. Yeah. So, you know, it was just so, one of those, but, it was one of those days when it was clear across most of Canada. And so yeah. that's all documented in there. It's, it's, it's one of the. I just, articles. can I just read, I just want to read like, I want to read like a portion of a sentence. People should uh, maybe Shane can, can, oh, just, just scroll up a little. Just keep oh. going up a uh, little what bit further. A little bit. To... There, stop. All right. Okay. Just stop. Just stop. Oh, yeah, you've gone too far now. You, you didn't have to move. Uh, <laughs> You're so particular. So just, just keep going down a little. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Yeah, just keep going down a little. A little bit more. This is a little bit more. There you go. Stop the there. listening. Yeah. Yeah. So, but people should look this up. I'm just going to read part of a sentence. And, and Dave's a really good writer. I just, just want to read people this teaser. Out of blackness, the sun's rays first catch the tallest point. And that's just like right in the middle of the article. It's a beautiful sentence. Wow. <laughs> it makes realize... me want to go out and look at it right now. <laughs> I didn't realize you were such a fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've, you've written tremendous articles and now they're all freely available through the uh, JRASC. Uh, so what, what, we, have, what awesome. we haven't done for the people that are listening, what we haven't done is we described what's going on and uh, we should say that. So, because people have no idea what we're talking yeah. about. So what is the lunar X? Go so what it. it is, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an interaction of the topography of the moon surface and the rising sun at that point. Uh, and it's at the terminator of the, uh, the moon. That's where, uh, that's where, the sun is rising. 
you know, it's on one side, it's day, daytime on the moon and the other side, it's nighttime on the moon. So right where the Terminator is, where the sun is rising. And so you've got these immense uh, crater walls and mountains and things all around you. And as on earth, uh, when the sun rises in a, a rough area, the tops of the mountains get, il get illuminated first while the valleys are still, uh, still not illuminated. But on the moon, where there's no atmosphere to scatter light, it's like white and black. It's very high contrast because there's no dissipation or diffraction or anything, you know, any scattering of light. So this, the light sort of illuminates this, this intersection of a bunch of crater walls. And over a period of uh, hours, actually, it, it, it sort of paints this picture of this, this X. And then, it, and then you see this X against the background blackness for a little while. And then the, the sun gets higher and it starts filling in, you know, the valleys. And then you no longer see the X anymore. Like it's just, it's just part of the lunar topography. So the whole thing kind of takes a few hours to unfold. Because um, if you think about it, uh, the, the sun rises on the moon at about one thirtieth of the speed that it rises on Earth, right? It takes a whole, <laughs> it takes like 29 days for the moon to go through a complete solar cycle, like uh, night and day. So it's mm -hmm. a very slow process compared to on Earth. So you're watching it in slow motion. Like you can look at it, go away for 20 minutes, come back and it'll move a little bit. And so you can make little sketches. And it's really hard to catch the whole thing from one place, you see. It's really, you have to have the, the yeah. timing just right because it's first quarter, the sun, the moon's going down and depending on when it starts, uh, you may or may not have a good view. Uh, and uh, so it's to, to be able to see it at a particular location, you have to be patient because it may, it may not show up every cycle, but there may then once in a, once in a while, there'll be this episode where the moon's in the sky, uh, the illumination is just at the right angle and it's clear <laughs> and you can go out and see it. But then you might not be able to see it again for a couple of months. And then you might not see it for many months after that. And that's why it's yeah. not, it wasn't well known before, I think because it wasn't as regular as you might expect. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So, Have you seen the Lunar X, Shane? Yeah, yeah, I've seen it a, a few times. Um, and what I've done in the past is if you just do a, an in, you know, a search on the internet for uh, Lunar X or Werner X visibility, you'll get the dates and times uh, in universal time uh, as to when it is available. So then you do the conversion for your location and uh, you'll, you'll find out when you should be able to see it. Um, however, you know, clouds and other things are usually working against us. So there's all sorts of uh, factors that, you know, make this somewhat challenging just to, you know, yeah. uh, have everything line up so you can actually see it. There's another way you can you can do this is, uh, um, and that's what I did by uh, kind of down, you know, combining everybody's observations. And that is, um, there, there's a kind of a time system, if you like, on the moon. It's called the selenographic colongitude, which is a fancy name for saying where at what longitude is the um, is the terminator at. And what you want to do is you want the terminator to be at 358 degrees. And so if you have something like even Sky Safari or Lunar Atlas or some other software, and you can figure out what the longitude of the terminator is, it'll tell you when, you, when you'll be able to see it. Um, it's a bit of a hunt and peck kind of thing, but, but you're right, Shane, there are people who calculate these things in advance. 
And in fact, it's, it's included on the RESC observers calendar for, for time zones in Canada, only in Canada. Good to know. You know, kind of an interesting cool. story too of how I learned about the Lunar X was almost similar to your, you know, rediscovery or, or your first observation. Um, it was uh, uh, one of the club members here in Regina was doing a public night and was looking at the moon and saw this X and was wondering what the heck was this thing and took a photograph of it. And then at the next club meeting, told us all about it. You know, he did some research, uh, you know, after that and found out about this Lunar X and, and your observations, yeah. Dave, and, and then made all of the Regina club members aware of it. And then, you know, we all decided that this was an interesting object and, and added it to our lists. That's great. Yeah. Very some, cool. Uh, some, some people said, oh, how come it's not in the observer's handbook? Well, because, uh, because of all the reasons I said, you know, you, it's not a permanent feature on the moon. It's it, it, it's it's an interaction of the moon and the lighting, and so uh, you you it's not a one size fits all kind of thing. It depends where you are, and uh, so on. So it's not included in the handbook. Yeah, but uh, for, mm -hmm. for for our local newsletter, I, I'm the editor, and I wrote an article, uh, and I think the title was something along the lines of "Seeing Things on the Moon That Aren't Really There." And so I had the X and. Uh, the V and there's something else too that uh, appears occasionally in his. Yeah, there's a few things like that. Uh, some veteran lunar observers scoff at these things, like they 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 don't think of it's uh, serious enough. Uh, but a lot of uh, beginner observers get a lot of uh, enjoyment out of seeing things like that, and uh, so there's a name for them, uh, Claire Obscure light and dark clair obscure effects and there are a number of uh noted ones like the, the lunar v uh is at the same time as the x and then there's another kind of x and there's, there's a bunch of them but yeah, the, i wasn't the, very aware of uh, these until this whole lunar x thing came up and uh yeah yeah it's kind of neat if you're if you're oh. fascinated by the moon and, and lunar observations uh, it's just another avenue or, or another, you know, set yeah. of things to add to your observing list. Well, for me, what's interesting about the X isn't so much the appearance of it, although that was initially interesting. I got really interested in why is it that people didn't know about it or didn't, ha why hadn't it been documented before? And, and I started thinking about the psychology of it, like something that happens in, in a sense happens regularly, but because of the way the celestial spheres revolve, um, if you saw it one, one time on the moon, if you looked the next month, you would miss it totally. Because, because, uh, it, because of the, the, the 29 and a half day cycle of, of the, the illumination, it, it happens a month later, 29 and a half days later, but it's but you'd have to be on the other side of the world to see it, you see, and and uh, so you so you have to wait for another twenty nine and a half days for it to come back where, you know, you might be able to see it again. So, and and because it's kind of irregular that way, I think you know people might see it and then they might think, well, that's cool, and they might forget about it. Um, and I think that's why it ha isn't better. It wasn't better known before. Uh, that, that's my theory. 
Yeah, yeah. No, that it's, kind of a it's kind of a perceptional theory. I thought it would be an interesting study for a psychology, you know, uh, project is, um, you know, when you have things that are strictly regular and then have things which are kind of regular, but you miss them once in a while. And like, how, how, do, how do people recognize patterns when the data is irregular, you know? And uh, I thought about that quite a bit, that aspect of it. Oh, yeah, very interesting. Right, shall we talk telescopes? Well, we could, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was supposed to be the topic today. <laughs> well, uh, we, yeah, well, I mean, we, you, we three could talk telescopes till the cows come home, right? Yeah, um, let's do it. So, so I, I guess it was a, a year or two ago, I realized that, um, that not only did I have a lot of telescopes, <laughs> But I, over the years, I had owned a lot of telescopes. As, so one time, um, I went to Nova East, and I, I took my big, biggest telescope, which is the 12-inch Skywatcher. And I said, you know what? I'm going to take a whole bunch of my little telescopes and set them up. And so I did. I set them up at my campsite. And I had all these little telescopes set up. And people would come by and ask me about them. And so I'd show them all these little telescopes and then I would tell a little story about each telescope. And I thought, this happened quite a bit. And I thought, you know, this would make a good talk because every, and this is it, this is the take home point from this podcast. Every telescope has a story, okay? Mm -hmm. So like you have a telescope and you, you have a certain experience with it and you use it in a certain way. Every telescope has a story and that was what was cool about it. And I went away and I said, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna put together a talk about all the telescopes that I owned. And that's what that's what telescope tales is. It's it's a it was a a talk with a PowerPoint, and and people seemed really interested in it on social media. And they said, Well, you know, how can we have it? Share it. And I said, uh, you know, is your talk, did your talk get videoed? I said, No. And then I thought, you know what I can do though? Uh, in PowerPoint, you can you can uh, voice over. You can go through your slides and you can put a little narration on every slide. And that's what I did. I sat down one day, went through the slides, did a little narration. And then in the end, I made a, a video out of it and I posted it to my YouTube channel. So Telescope Tales, the video is now available. And, <laughs> and, uh, and if you have 30 minute, 36 minutes to spare, you can go to my uh, YouTube channel and watch it. It's actually yeah. uh, the second most popular YouTube uh, video I've uploaded, which, which isn't really saying much. But the point is that if, if you rank them in order of popularity, it's second from the top, easy to find. Uh, and the, the where you go on YouTube to find that is, uh, is my, my other handle. Uh, I call myself on YouTube, the gardening astronomer because those are two of my hobbies. And I call myself the gardening astronomer. And my YouTube channel has stuff about astronomy and gardening. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, it makes no comparison of Dave's growing telescope collection. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. I've been sitting on that one for a while, sorry. <laughs> I, I don't even know what you mean by that. I, I, know you're, I know you're taking a dig, but I haven't figured that out, so. Dig, gardening. Growing telescope collection. Oh, okay, ah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, so the, the 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 my story about my telescopes kind of comes full circle because my very first telescope was when I was um, 
10 years old, uh, was this little TASCO 60 millimeter terrestrial telescope. It wasn't even a properly an astron astronomical telescope. It's this little, this picture here is on my, um, I have a picture in my PowerPoint. It's not my telescope, but it's the same model that I found. Um, so it, it, it's a sort of a mid 60s or early 60s TASCO telescope, 60 millimeters um, wooden mount, no slow motions, no finder scope, no star diagonal, but it had this really cool erect image uh, eyepiece system and a built some kind of built-in Barlow where you could click stop like 15, 30, 45, 60 power and, and you could by pulling out the tube. So it didn't really need a finder because because it had a, a, like a really low 15 power. Uh, and now I realize that that telescope was not meant for astronomy at all, but that's what my parents bought me. You know, they went to Eaton's or somewhere and this is what they, I was totally surprised by this telescope on my 10th birthday. And I did a lot of observing with that in that first year. And I still have my log books from those days, 1963 in uh, July. And the very first thing that's in my log book, the, I didn't do any drawings at that time, but I made a list of the things that I saw in my telescope, like maybe a day after I got the telescope. And it was just a list of all the things on the moon. So the very first thing I officially observed in my telescope and recorded was the moon, <laughs> which is uh, very interesting because I came back to the moon much later as well. But I saw a lot, a lot of stuff. I got to say, noted strange feature around Werner. <laughs> well, apart from that, apart from that, I, uh, apart from that, I, 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 I'm one of the people that put together the RESC Explore the Moon program for beginners. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, which came out in 2016, but uh, that was my, free to anybody. Free to anybody, isn't it? You can download the material. Can you just download. Uh, you, if yeah. you want the certificate, yeah. you have to be a member. That's the only thing. But you can you're, you can certainly download the material if you're interested. Uh, but yeah, that's what I did. You know, I saw, I looked at, um, you know, the planets. I saw, I, I drew, <laughs> I drew this this picture of Jupiter and its moons, and I watched, uh, uh, you know, Io go into occultation or something. Or, and years later, I picked up this book by Galileo, you know, Starry Messenger, and it looks like <laughs> my ten-year-old drawing of the moons of Jupiter looked a lot like what Galileo saw in his telescope. It's, it's uncanny how similar the pictures looked. You know, I was like, I was this little Galileo, you know, with my little telescope discovering things. And you know, back then, you know, parenting was way different back then. Like my parents weren't out there like helping me and showing me how to use it stuff. Like they, they bought me this telescope. They shoved me out the door and said, here, have fun. And I had to figure it all out on my own. No, nobody really come back paid, in six hours. <laughs> they, nobody really paid a whole lot of attention to what I was doing. I, you know, I had to figure out how to point it, how to focus it, and all of this stuff. And I've been trying to figure out lately what prompted me to start keeping a logbook. Like, because I didn't, I didn't have a club or anybody to tell me to do this, or uh, you know, I just naturally did it, I guess, or maybe. I had read something somewhere and I started keeping this little log book, you know, and uh, that's what got me started. And, and then I went and got a, uh, my very first observer's handbook from uh, in 1963. It's a much slimmer volume then. And I, um, um, it cost a dollar. <laughs> and, <laughs> and again, how did I get that handbook? Well, one Saturday I got up, 
and I had my dollar and I, I had a bus ticket. I lived in Transcona, which is a suburb of uh, Winnipeg. And I got on the bus to go to the university and I had to change buses a couple of times. Got all the way out there and found out that the university bookstore was closed on weekends. Drove all, <laughs> you know, took the bus all the way back, told my dad, hey, you know, I went out there and I couldn't get this thing. And, I, and I'm thinking like these days, your dad would have driven you, right? or phoned up first or something. Yeah. But I was just like totally on my own. I don't know what was going on. I was just kind of in my own little world. And so he said, well, I can fix that. He took my dollar and he took it to work. And there was a guy at work whose son was at the university. So a couple of days later, I had my handbook and uh, I was wallowing in the handbook. And back, back then it was really interesting because they, instead of writing the word Jupiter, they used a the little symbol for Jupiter, right? Oh so all yeah. The planet, all the planets were symbols, and things like quadrature and conjunction and uh, uh, opposition. They had little symbols. So reading that, reading the sky month by month was like reading Egyptian hieroglyphs, <laughs> <laughs> because you'd open up this thing and there'd be all these symbols, and you had to go to the front of the book to figure out what everything meant, right? So <laughs> there's like, I'm getting like this, this picture in my mind. Cause I, I know you well, and I kind of know what you look like. And I'm, I'm imagining this, this extremely much younger version of you yet still bearded at 10 years old and, and going through and like, well, that won't work. And like kind of making edits, <laughs> right? <laughs> like at 10, right? Oh, we well, gotta fix this. Wait till well, I write you know that what? letter. I mean, uh, I don't know, f about 50 years later, um, more or less, I was editor of that handbook. <laughs> I had no idea when I was 10 years old that this, this was in my future. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're so innocent, you know, you, and you don't have any kind of idea of future. It's just like what's happening right now. You're in the moment yeah. and you're, you're just learning and, and everything's a mistake, but you know, you learn from your mistakes. And um, so I didn't really get involved in organized astronomy until I got to Ottawa and I was a youth member. And, um, and um, we had a really active observing group there. Uh, there was the regular meeting where all the, the, the senior guy people came, mostly guys, and they'd wear their jackets and ties and they'd have people come in and give scholarly talks and everything. We used to go and listen to them politely, but also once a month, we had an observers group meeting, which was totally different. It was like, it was all young people. Some, some of the uh, more senior people were there, but it was all about observing. Mm -hmm. And we were keeners. Like we had people in charge of different things. Like we had someone in charge of solar. We had somebody in charge of lunar, meteors, deep sky. Like every, every component of observing had a leader. And uh, Ken Hewitt-White, who uh, became a, a columnist in Sky News and a broadcaster, was my friend. Uh, he was a little bit older than me, and but we looked up to him like he he had an eight-inch telescope, so he was God. Yeah, because he had an eight-inch telescope. Like with the rest of us, had these little tiny little scopes and binoculars, and he was God because he had an eight-inch. And uh, I remember 68, 1968 February, he got up and said, "Okay, we're going to do a Messier hunt." Not one of these things where you do it all in one night, but he said, uh, everybody start from scratch and start uh, observing all the Messier objects. And the idea is everybody is supposed to finish it and get it done. And, and it was a bit of a challenge, like who would get it done first. And I never finished it that time, but I, I made a good dent in it. He, 
he and another guy, I think his name was Les McKinnon, were, were like neck and neck. And uh, um, um, Ken thought he had it in the bag, but what he had he didn't realize that Les had uh, observed M74 or something at some previous time. And, and Ken had this one thing to go. And then anyway, Les finished first. And uh, he, he wrote about that in one of his columns. And I, I was kind of around Ottawa at that time. And uh, we, were, we were very active. Uh, uh, I learned how to find asteroids by you know, sketching a star field one night and then going out the next night and sketching the same field and seeing which dot moved, right? Yeah. Um, when I was 15, I was doing stuff like that, like tr just not just, you know, like locating asteroids by looking at star fields and with binoculars. And uh, I did some solar observing and uh, a bit more lunar. And somewhere around uh, the end of, end of high school and through university and grad school, I kind of dropped out of astronomy a bit. And I've, I've recently learned that this, this is true of a lot of people. Mm -hmm. they, they sort of get distracted. You know, you go off to a new place and, you know, you're studying and you're, you know, you're drinking beer and you're chasing girls, whatever. You know, you just get involved in a whole different kind of life. And then you kind of forget that you're interested in astronomy. But I came back to it when I finally graduated and settled down in Halifax. I came back into it. And, um, and I, uh, I didn't have a telescope. I started with binoculars. I got myself a little Celestron C90 back when they were good, uh, when they were still made in the States. Uh, and I, did a, a, I started the, um, I started the uh, Messier list again, and I finished it uh, with the help of a friend who had an eight inch uh, daub because the galaxies were a little tricky. But I got back into it, and I was one of the first people in Halifax to fit, do the Messier list. And um, yeah, so that was a neat telescope. I still have it. Um, you know, it's got some drawbacks. It's it's got the the small eyepieces, the 0.96 inches, but they're good eyepieces. Like they're Kellners. But you guys were talking about Kellners last week, and uh, yeah. you know, they're they're very narrow field of view, but they're actually quite good eyepieces. They're not they're not junk. And I yeah, brought a couple of orthoscopics as well. Uh, Dave, on, on that telescope, the focusing is is that kind of black yeah. ring on the middle, right? Like it's almost like a camera lens focus. Yeah. Is that correct? You're absolutely correct. There were three versions of this telescope. There was a spotting scope, which had a, probably an erector lens. Okay. There was this astronomical version, which came with this really heavy mount. Pretty much everything on this thing is metal. Uh, and then there was a, there was a, you're right, there was a camera, there was a camera lens version, and it, they all use this uh, helical focuser, which physically moves, I mean, the mirror is stationary, but it physically moves the meniscus in and out, uh, but keeps it parallel. It doesn't, it doesn't rotate, but, it, but it, there's this little gizmo inside. So it's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird setup, and I don't know if you can really collimate it or not, but... Um, um, you know, it was an okay telescope, but I moved on from that, but I still have that. I, I just can't bear to part with it. And, and <laughs> there's, there's these guys, <clears throat> there's these folks on, uh, cloudy nights that get into vintage telescopes mm -hmm. and there's, they've got this whole forum about vintage telescopes and there's this whole thread on these Celestrons and, 
you know, you can send in your serial number and you can be logged in, like, you know, you owe this particular serial number, you know, and, and you're supposed to give the, the characteristics of it. And people get really into the minutiae of how they changed over time and, and so on. Like the modern C90s have a, a little knob at the back for focusing. And I guess the mirror must move or something, but, um, and they take yeah. one and a quarter inch eyepieces. I'd like to, to set this one up next to one of the modern ones and have a little bake off. How, how good are they now versus back then? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Terry Dickinson didn't. Terry Dickinson didn't like them, but he was talking about the ones that came out a few years later when Halley's Comet came, and they shifted production away from the states to somewhere else, and uh, apparently the yeah. quality went down. The ones today, I think, are a complete redesign of of the the telescopes. So. There's at least three different eras of these telescopes, but you can tell I love yeah. telescopes. I, I look through. Yeah, I look through one of these, uh, not the astronomical version. It was, I think, it was the spotting scope version or, or something yeah. of that effect. And um, I had a next door neighbor ran a camera store, um, and so it was great because whenever he would get telescopes in, and this was this was around the time I was looking to buy a telescope. And people would bring telescopes in on trade or sometimes he would just have them in for Christmas or whatever. And I kind of got to try out like everything that was yeah. on the used market and then uh, eventually make my purchase, which was the eight inch Dobsonian. But, oh, there's your Ranger. Yeah, so we were, we were gonna go down to Curacao to see the eclipse, the solar eclipse in uh, February 98. And I said to my wife, I had taken these, the C90 on a trip before, but it's pretty cumbersome. So anyway, I said, I, I want to get a, I want to get a, a modern refractor. You know, I want to get one of these Teleview. Mm -hmm. I think I spent about 600 bucks for this telescope. Uh, they were not it, cheap. I remember seeing them and being excited. I thought I would get one and it was way out of my Well, you know what? The, they are, I mean, the Teleview telescopes uh, are superb and their optics and their eyepieces. I'm, I mean, I don't regret paying that money for it back then. I still have it now. Uh, when you take out the diagonal and all the other jazz, uh, that's, that packs into my um, camera bag that I can take on the, on, the, on the plane with me. So I can carry that on the plane with, with all the pieces taken off and the, the tripod and the mount goes in my suitcase. But I, like when I go to Cuba, I take that. Or I've, I've taken that out to uh, Winnipeg to see the transit of Venus. Uh, that, I've taken that down to California. I've taken that a lot of different places. So it's like, and if I just want to have a quick look at something, I'll just grab that telescope and set it up. It, it is a very remarkable telescope. It's, it's sharp as a tack and it also has helical focus here. And, uh, uh, but I'm, I'm quite happy with it. And you know, I broke it um, a couple of years ago and it turned out a particular screw involved with the um, focuser broke and uh, I thought I was a goner and I took it apart and found out what had gone wrong and it turned out that one screw had three different functions I won't go into them but I phoned up Teleview and I said look I've got this ranger and this bloody screw broken it's a non-standard screw I said by any chance I know you don't make them but any chance you have any of those screws and the guy said let me go check he, was, he went for like two minutes he comes back and says yeah we've got this little drawer full of them and I said, that's wonderful. He said, <laughs> he said, but I've got, I've got good news and bad news. I said, well, what, tell me the, tell me the bad news. He says, we're going to have to charge you for shipping. 
for this school. And I said, what's the good news? He says, we're giving you the school for free. <laughs> they sent me the screw for like three bucks of shipping. You know, it was just a little envelope. And when it came, I was able to put everything back together. I thought this telescope was oh, wow. a goner. And now it's got a second yeah. life. I'm so I'm so happy, you know. Did you get two uh, screws or one? Actually, I only got one. I suppose I should have asked. <laughs> well, I've had it since 97, 2007, 2020 years. I think I'm good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so that, that uh, near and dear, and that is the scope I, I saw the uh, lunar, I rediscovered the lunar X. So that's the telescope that went to Curacao. That's the telescope. I watched the transit of Venus. That telescope has gone canoeing with me uh, out onto an Island in Kijimkujik national park. And I watched, uh, I watched a, uh, a daytime occultation of Aldebaran with that scope while I was camping and stuff oh, wow. like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a lovely little scope. Um, you know, I had a whole bunch of scopes over the years. I don't think I have time to go through all of them, but I yeah. guess, I guess what you, the take home point is that I love telescopes. I love trying out different telescopes and appreciating them for what their features are and their drawbacks are. I, I'm more than happy to help people with their telescopes. So um, at Nova East, we have this thing called telescope medics. Okay. <laughs> I've got a team of four people that are called telescope medics and they're identified by a special ribbon. And the idea is if you have any questions about your telescope or how to do something, you just grab one of those guys and um, they'll come over and, and sort, sort your telescope out. Because what I found that nine times out of 10, the problems people are having with the telescopes are really super easy. They're not complicated problems, really super easy ones. Yeah. And, and so I've gotten quite bold. And I just tell, I tell people, bring me your telescopes. People say, hey, I got this telescope, but I can't make it focus. Bring it over. Uh, or somebody said before Christmas, I dropped my telescope. I can't see anything through it anymore. I said, bring it over. And I got that guy sorted out. It took me a while. It was challenging, but I managed to. Uh, so what, what he had, he had one of those uh, ETX 80s and it's got yep. this mirror down at the bottom on a flip on a flip thing. So you can flip up for viewing and you can flip it out of the way to take a photograph. He had dropped this telescope and the mirror had become dislodged and it was rattling around inside. And I couldn't get it, I couldn't get it apart. So by hook and by crook, I managed to get it where it was supposed to be, but it was still not attached. So I had to go in with a pair of chopsticks and some glue and get it glued in place. <laughs> and That's I, amazing. I, and I was telling the guy, like I said, this is looking pretty bad, man. I think, I think it might be a goner, but I'll, I'll... So after a few days, I, I got it working and I set up, I took my iPhone and took a picture of a chimney, you know, next to my house. And I sent it to him. I said, uh, guess what? I got your telescope working again. He was, he said, that's amazing. He thought he was never going to be able to see through it again. And uh, that kind of thing. You know, I love to do stuff like that. Yeah. Because I hate it when people like get telescopes and then they're frustrated because, you know, they don't work right or they, they can't use them. And it's just something simple, you know, that yeah. just a, you just need some, a little instruction or you need some adjustment. Yeah. One person I, brought me, uh, what the hell was it? It was one of those Celestron uh, short tube reflectors. 
and they said that they had gotten it as a gift and they'd never been able to see anything through it. They could never focus. They brought it over in 30 seconds. I knew it was out of collimation, like way out of collimation, like the worst I've ever seen out of collimation of the main mirror. It was really cockeyed. You couldn't get anything out of it. And uh, I said, leave it with me. And I had it, I had it basically working the next day. Yeah. Just, just collimated. And I didn't even need a laser. I mean, you could do this by eye. And I got it back and I messed around with it a bit. And, and I kept it till I could do a star test. It wasn't a great telescope, uh, but I told them, you know, your telescope's good. Um, come over and get it. And they're happy. You know, they, they look at the moon and they can see the moon. They're happy, right? Um, so that's the kind of thing I do for fun. Well, that's really cool, Dave. Um, yeah. I'm actually thinking maybe we should uh, maybe we should kind of wrap it up here and uh, sort of plan to have you on at some point in the future to to talk a little bit more about other things. Unless there's a, like a couple of brief items you you want to touch on before we uh, sign no. Up. I feel like I've run on here a bit, and I missed the whole I, I missed the whole passage of time part. <laughs> no, it was really great, you know, and I really liked <laughs> how you conversation. Yeah, I, I liked how you talked about. Um, like inexpensive telescopes and getting them working because you know one of the things Shane and I and and our and our members or, or listeners talk about is uh, is about how often these inexpensive telescopes just need a little bit of work and a little bit of love and and attention to get them uh, you know to, to yeah. perform the best well, way. Yeah, I'll I'll just add to that one thing. One of the small telescopes that I had on display and talked about. I have to say this because there's only one telescope that I have a real hate on for, which is the Celestron 70 millimeter so-called first scope. <laughs> it sells for 50 bucks. This isn't going to play well with one of our members, but go for it. <laughs> well, I've, I've looked through a few and half of the ones that I've looked through, looked at are, not put together properly and yeah. completely cockeyed. And even when yeah. you try to collimate them, they they don't come to a proper focus. They, yeah. they're, a, they're a spherical mirror in, in an F4 configuration and they just have so much spherical aberration. And I have a real hate on for that telescope. And I tell yeah. people, do not buy this telescope. You will be unhappy. Yeah. What, what's amazing about that comment though, and I'm, I'm kind of glad you, you pointed out that telescope because one of our listeners took one of those telescopes and actually got it working properly. Well, and it took it took a lot of work, but it's amazing. I, I'd be interested to know what he what he means by proper and how he achieved it. But that's yeah, another conversation. Yeah, we'll we'll have to send you the uh, we'll have to send you the photos. It, Do you know I what? Mean, Do you know what? Be, it, it works okay if you put a Barlow in it and make it an F ten. Yeah, and you he's he, he's done a lot to it. <laughs> Okay, so anyway, that's the that's my only message. Yeah, most telescopes, <laughs> but that one I just tell people avoid, avoid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and his 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 work on it's ridiculous. I'll say that it's amazing. Anyway, um, yeah. So yeah, so look, so when I'm talking about telescopes, I guess time stops for me, so I don't realize that the podcast is over. Um, <laughs> the podcast is never over <laughs> anyway that uh it sounds like you're trying to wrap up uh, uh i hope uh, i didn't run on too much not at all uh, not at all nope. i hope you found it uh, interesting to hear my little stories about things yeah no it's really good do you have anything else to add shane 
No, no, thanks, uh, Dave. It was really good. I enjoyed hearing about, you know, the the origin story of your Lunar X observation. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I always love talking about telescopes. And, you know, I, you know, I have uh, a number of modern telescopes, but I, I also have a fascination with some of the older ones. Uh, so I enjoy seeing the pictures and just hearing about people that have used them. And, uh, you know, I think the, the best, uh, or the, one of the most interesting things, uh, for me was when you said each telescope has a story and yes. you know, it is so true. And sometimes when I, you know, think about some of the older telescopes that I own, you know, it, it's almost a fantasy or, or fantasizing about thinking of some of the observations that other people have had with that telescope. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you think of telescopes from the sixties or whatever right. time frame it might be, uh, it's just, it's a real cool thing. And I, I, yeah. I love that part of uh, telescopes. So Chris, is there, is there a minute left maybe? Yeah. Yeah. We have a minute. Or okay. Two. I make this really super short because Shane reminded me of, of bringing things back home again. I could never figure out why people hated TASCO telescopes so much because my little TASCO worked really well. And I had so much fun with it when I was a kid. And it's not like, Oh, it's okay for kids. I said, were they really that bad back then? Or was mine special? And I went out and bought for a hundred bucks. Somebody had a, a, an astronomical TASCO telescope from that era with every single part in it, including the case. It was, it had only one owner and I bought it because I wanted to see what it was like. And that little telescope, when I cleaned it up and I, I got it working, it was superb. It was a mm -hmm. superb instrument. So the, the, they were different telescopes back then. Whatever yeah, people yeah. think of them now, they were excellent telescopes in the 60s. Yeah, that's a great comment. Um, they, they were exceptionally good. Um, I have a, a Tasco 10 TE, which is a, a fairly large, you know, old Acromat, uh, a three inch mm -hmm. uh, F15. And I believe the price in the early sixties on that was, uh, I think $250, yeah. um, us. Now, if you adjust that for inflation, mm -hmm. I think in today's world, that's, that's over $2,000. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, if you just, if you equate dollar value to quality, yeah. uh, it's exceptional. And, um, you're right. They are different nowadays, the Tasco brand, but back then they really made some fine instruments. The woman I the woman I bought it from it was her husband's telescope and he had passed away and she was just kind of cleaning things up, but it, it it had a lot of sentimental value, and I even feel bad that I um, I bargained her down a few bucks because I said I have no idea if this is going to work you know and she said fine but you you like telescopes so have it I brought it home cleaned it up and I took I took it out and I I, I took the moon and I put my iPhone took a picture of the moon and I sent it to her I said. I took this picture of the moon through your husband's telescope. And she was so glad to hear from me. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great, uh, great story. Okay. Cool. Well, I yeah. think with that, well, thank you, uh, Shane. And thanks so much, Dave. Thanks for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll think up another topic here in a couple months and uh, maybe do it all yeah. again. Yeah, we could do it again. There's lots to talk about. Yeah, and <laughs> we, You should really come out and come observing with us once this pandemic is in the no, mirror. It's on my list of places to go. And I have a lot of uh, airline credits to use up. So <laughs> I want to come out to grass. Hopefully well, they'll be flying out of your region. I know they've been canceling flights. I want to come out to grasslands and see what you've been talking about. Yeah, good stuff. Look forward to it. Thanks okay. so much. Bye-bye. Bye then. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. 
If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.